0: Paul's letter to Philemon is among the shortest books of the Bible. And so this sermon series will be one of our shortest. I'm beginning it today and Josh will finish it next week. It's a natural follow-up to our series through Colossians because those two letters, Philemon and Colossians, were written at the same time and delivered together to the same city, Colossae. Now, Paul had never been to Colossae, as far as we're aware, but he had ministered in Ephesus, which was nearby. He was there for two years, and during his ministry among the Ephesians, a man named Epaphras became a Christian and returned to his hometown in Colossae and started the Colossian church. Around the same time, a man named Philemon also became a Christian under the ministry of Paul. Philemon was a wealthy and generous man. He had the gift of hospitality. And so at some point, he opened up his home in Colossae to host a church. Now, close to 10 years had passed from the time that Paul was living in Ephesus. Over the course of those years, he finished up his third missionary journey. He wrote letters to the Corinthians and to the Romans He traveled to Jerusalem, where he was arrested. He was held imprisoned in Caesarea for two years. He survived a shipwreck. And he was now imprisoned in Rome under house arrest, awaiting the opportunity to make his appeal to Caesar. The last sentence of the book of Acts sums up Paul's time there in Rome. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Now, one of Paul's visitors was his beloved friend, Epaphras, who gave him a report about the churches in Ephesus and Colossae. And so Paul wrote letters to those two churches. The churches were a good 1,200 miles from Rome, which would require a fair amount of time and supplies to get there. And so the letters had to be delivered by trustworthy companions. And we know the names of at least two of them because they are identified in the final greetings of Colossians. First, there was Tychicus, described as a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. And traveling with Tychicus was Onesimus, Onesimus was also introduced as a faithful and beloved brother, but Paul added that Onesimus was one of them. Now, the purpose of these introductions is to authenticate Tychicus and Onesimus as trustworthy representatives of Paul and to urge the church to extend the best of Christian hospitality to them when they arrive. But note the difference in the introduction. Paul described Tychicus As a servant of the Lord, and said that Onesimus is one of you. Now, if you were a Colossian in that day and didn't know anything about the two of them but their names, you might have found it more natural for Paul to refer to Onesimus as a servant and Tychicus as one of them, because Tychicus was a typical Greek Gentile name meaning fortuitous. And the Colossians were of a Greek Gentile background. But Onesimus, on the other hand, was a name commonly given to slaves. Onesimus means useful. The Greek word translated servant, doulos, is the same word for slave. But it was Tychicus who was introduced as a slave and Onesimus who was one of them. Both statements are true because of the gospel. Atychicus was a slave for the Lord because he was bought with a price, redeemed by the death of Jesus Christ. And so he no longer lives for himself, but for the Lord. Paul frequently described himself as a slave for Christ, no longer a slave to sin, but a slave to the Lord. And through faith in Jesus Christ, you too have a master, a good and gracious master whose yoke is light. Onesimus also became a Christian, and so he gained a new master. Onesimus belongs to the Colossian church because he belongs to the church. So there's only one Christ and only one Bride of Christ, and Onesimus is united to them both. Though we are part of a particular church, Covenant Presbyterian Church, through faith in Jesus, we are part of the one true church that exists throughout time and space. And so from a heavenly perspective, Tychicus and Onesimus are equally brothers in Christ, But from a worldly perspective, they were not equal because Onesimus was a slave. In fact, Onesimus was worse than a slave. He was a runaway, an outlaw. Somehow Onesimus managed to escape his chains and he traveled a long way. Perhaps he stole money to help him get so far. What he did was wrong. But by God's good providence, Onesimus came across a man who was not ashamed of his chains, a man who happily identified as a slave, the Apostle Paul. Paul never ceases to amaze me with the way he exemplified the love of Christ. He was under house arrest in a foreign town, surely with minimal accommodations, and into his home walks A criminal, disheveled, poor, tired, hungry. But Paul doesn't view this man as the rest of the world would. Rather than seeing a dangerous person, or a liability, or a hassle, Paul saw a man in desperate trouble, a man who was in urgent need of the gospel. Through the loving ministry of Paul, Onesimus became a Christian, and Paul gave him a job, helping him in ministry. Paul grew to love Onesimus more and more, but there was a pesky little problem, an issue that wouldn't resolve on its own, Roman law. Roman law was not as gracious to slaves as biblical law. Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 15 and 16 says, You shall not give up to his master a slave who has escaped from his master to you. He shall dwell with you in your midst, in the place that he shall choose within one of your towns, wherever it suits him. You shall not wrong him. This law prohibits the temptation to take advantage of someone with no resources, whether by forcing them to work for you, or trying to get a bounty for returning them to their master. And it requires the Jewish people to extend hospitality to escaped slaves, welcoming them into their town and allowing them to stay wherever they'd like. This was an important reminder to the people of Israel to have compassion because they themselves had escaped slavery. But the Romans didn't see things the same way, and Paul, who was imprisoned by the Romans, was very much under their watchful eye. Paul knew that he had to send Onesimus back. The punishment for a runaway slave is up to their master. It could be a fine, a beating, jail time, or death. Amazingly, in God's good providence, Paul knew Onesimus' master. It was Philemon. What a small world. Paul has fond memories of Philemon. But that also complicates matters because Onesimus wronged Philemon. There was conflict between them and it needed to be reconciled. And since Paul loved Onesimus and Philemon, And because he was already sending letters to Ephesus and Colossae, he wrote this letter to send with them so that Onesimus might receive a warm welcome from Philemon rather than what he deserves. And so this book of the Bible is about a personal matter between two individuals. But the opening greetings indicate that it wasn't intended to be a private letter the letter is addressed to Philemon and Athia and Archippus, who may have been Philemon's wife and son, as well as the entire church that meets in Philemon's house. Uh, in modern times, it's like Paul sending an email to philemon at gmail.com, and he's CCing ing Archippus, and the church that meets in Philemon's home. And to stretch it even further, he is bccing you and I and every Christian because this letter is for everyone to read and profit from. It's been recognized by the church as Holy Scripture. And all Scripture is useful for teaching, rebuking, and training in righteousness. But the way this letter does that is unique. Other letters explain and expound matters of theology. But this is theology applied. This letter demonstrates the implications that the gospel has for the way we treat others of vastly different socioeconomic status, even slaves. Now, Many people have wished that the Bible took on the issue of slavery with unequivocal condemnation. But slavery as an institution was so thoroughly ingrained in the culture that no one could imagine an economic or labor structure without it. To call for its abolition would be dismissed as a pipe dream. There were about 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire, a staggering number. 85 to 90% of the people living in Rome were slaves. Or of slave origin. Nearly everyone worked for someone else as a slave. Now, it's important to realize that slavery in those days was very different from the modern African slave trade, which was based on race and abduction. Not that ancient slavery was without its faults, but slaves in the Roman Empire were paid wages and could ultimately purchase their freedom which often happened within seven to ten years. And slaves in those days weren't restricted to manual labor. Many slaves were craft workers, doctors, professors, administrators, philosophers, writers, teachers, and civil servants. And they could even own slaves themselves. Now, to be clear, I'm not trying to sanitize slavery by any means. People should not own slaves other people. But the Bible doesn't outright condemn slavery, but it encourages gracious treatment of slaves, because after all, the Israelites were slaves themselves. And though the biblical writers never condemned slavery, the institution, the gospel of Jesus Christ completely undermines it. In several places throughout Paul's writing, including this letter to Philemon, the seeds were planted, and the trajectory was set toward the abolition of slavery, because in Jesus Christ, as Paul wrote to the Galatians, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for all are one in Christ." Jesus is the great equalizer against everything that might divide us. The implications of this will be costly to Philemon, but he is a godly man and can handle it. And Paul began his letter by expressing his positive feelings toward Philemon, even though Philemon owned slaves and had apparently failed to teach at least one of them, Onesimus, about the gospel of Jesus Christ. But rather than condemning or criticizing Philemon, Paul commended him. He praised Philemon for being faithful, loving, and generous, and said that he gives thanks to God whenever he remembers Philemon in his prayers. And what a testimony to Philemon's character. If you were to read through a list of the names of people you know, know, some names would naturally Elicit an emotional response, whether a slight smile or a bit of a cringe. But Paul expresses nothing but positive thoughts for Philemon. He is delighted to pray for Philemon. And Paul's prayer for Philemon is that the sharing of his faith would become effective. A prayer that would be answered if Philemon were to respond favorably to the request Paul is getting ready to make a request which has radical hospitality in mind. But he knew he could make this request because Philemon was a hospitable person. In the words of Paul in verse 7, the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through Philemon. Not just the saints who would gather every week in his home to worship, but also traveling ministers passing through. Philemon was known for refreshing their hearts. Hospitality is an important ministry. Missionaries need a safe place to stay and rest when traveling to spread the gospel. Today, someone can easily find respite in a hotel, but in ancient times, public inns were notoriously dirty and often doubled as brothels. And so it was natural for Christians and itinerant preachers to seek out different accommodations. Paul is preparing Philemon for his request, which will be that Philemon live up to his reputation for refreshing the saints. And he returns to this theme of refreshment toward the end of the letter, asking Philemon to refresh his heart by welcoming Onesimus back as he would welcome himself. It would be kind of Philemon to receive Onesimus back in his household without a lot of drama and quietly put him back to work. But Paul urged Philemon to extend a level of hospitality beyond that, a level of hospitality that Onesimus does not deserve by any means. Because how would Philemon accept the apostle Paul, the man who taught him the gospel? He'd give him the best room in the house and provide an abundance of food and wine. He'd tell all his neighbors about his distinguished guests. That is how Paul wants Onesimus to be welcomed back, like the prodigal son. As counterintuitive as this would be, Paul knew that Philemon was capable of it, because Philemon loves the saints, and Onesimus is a saint now. He is a Christian, sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so he properly belongs as a member of the church in Philemon's house. This type of hospitality isn't entirely unprecedented. It's reminiscent of the hospitality Boaz showed to Ruth long before. Ruth was a Moabite, a traditional enemy of God's people. She married into an Israelite family that had fled to Moab to escape famine in Israel. And tragically, she ended up a widow. But she remained with Naomi, her mother-in-law, and returned with her to Israel, which was, for her, an unfamiliar land. For Naomi, it was a place she had left because of her lack of faith for God to provide in the promised land. The passage we read from the book of Ruth showed how they were welcomed Boaz extended radical hospitality to Ruth. He gave her permission to glean in his fields. He made sure she felt safe. He gave her an abundance of food and drink, and he provided plenty of grain for her and Naomi. Although commands aren't given to us from either passage, let me wrap up with an exhortation to emulate these saints of old. Consider your gifts. We all have different gifts, different talents, temperaments, inclinations. Some of us are gifted teachers. Others are administrators. But consider this. Do you have the gift of hospitality? Are you able to make outsiders feel welcome and included? That's not everybody. But if it's you, then we could use you on our greeting team, handing out bulletins with a smile and helping people navigate our church building. Perhaps you enjoy preparing food. You can cook for stewpot. pot. You can provide a meal for members going through difficult times or bake communion bread. Are you happy to serve behind the scenes? You don't need to be a deacon to help set up coffee or put out decorations or serve on the hospitality committee and perhaps you love children you can show hospitality to parents and kids at the same time by volunteering in the nursery and we currently have a need for more volunteers to love the babies that the lord has entrusted to us and there's no shortage of ways to serve the church and refresh the saints And you don't have to feel guilty about the things you're not good at. There's a way for you to serve according to your strengths. Together, with our variety of gifts, our church is well-rounded and at its healthiest when everyone is using their gifts. So if your gift is teaching, then teach. If it's music, then get involved in the music ministry. If it's service, then serve. Just don't feel guilty about what you're not gifted in and instead jump in and do what you love doing. Talk to me, talk to Josh, talk to our elders or deacons. We will be glad to help you get involved in the ministry of refreshing the heart of the saints. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to Witness, a ministry of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi.